This is Overcoming Performance Christianity, a podcast that leads you on a path to freedom in your walk with Christ. If you're a longtime Christian, but something's missing in your relationship with God, then you might be caught up in performing for the Lord. Find out more as we dive into this episode of Overcoming Performance Christianity. I'm John Fugler. I'm on the road from performance to relationship and my walk with Christ, and I'm taking you with me helping you gain freedom from the bondage of performance Christianity. This podcast does that. I'm a lifelong Christian media guy. I'm a husband, father, grandfather of nine, and also the CEO of Fresh Faith 24-7. That's where we lead you on the path to freedom from the bondage of performance Christianity. And I ask you this every week. Are you ready to get to know Jesus? Paul said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's my anchor verse, Philippians 3.8. As you know, I've uh, published several books, including the Your Life with God devotional series, but it's been a while. Haven't released a book in a while. I mean, years. And I've spent the last couple years writing, and I'm getting really close to releasing my newest book. Uh, It still needs a title, okay? The book is about done. It needs a title. Needs some window dressing, I guess. And I'm working on that. But I would ask if you'd pray with me and pray for me that in the next few weeks, this book will come into being. It focuses on the solution to performance Christianity, uh, restoring your vibrant walk with Christ. That's what it's all about. So I would ask for your prayers. Thank you. I'll keep you updated on that. Um, Do you ever feel like you and Jesus aren't connecting. Uh, your prayers hit the ceiling. Reading the Bible is dull. You're spiritually dry. If that's you, then know that you are normal. Yes, normal. But still, it's frustrating. It leaves us cold spiritually. And, and when that happens, we can default to obeying and serving God without heart. Our quiet time becomes a ritual. Church going is a burden. Serving God is mundane, and uh, you know that thing of performance Christianity, it raises its ugly head. Yeah, I know, because it happens to me. And in this episode, you're going to learn something that will turn your life around. Seriously, it's going to happen if you really take this in. Uh, You'll learn how to improve your prayer life in a major way. My guest shares some great stuff, and I'll lead up to the interview with some thoughts that'll lay the foundation for our guests. But this is a really special episode. Been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm going to ask another question here. How are you doing in your relationship with God? Is it healthy? Is How healthy is it? I developed a spiritual self-assessment. If you haven't taken it yet, uh, you got to do it. It'll give you some answers. It'll take just three minutes to take this assessment Include some probing questions will give you the honest truth about your relationship with Christ. You go get it and you take it. It's on my website. It's free. Go to freshfaith247.com, freshfaith247.com. Almost got the dot in the wrong place. (laughs) Oh, you just click the link in the show notes, okay? Uh, I'd like to give you a taste of the interview in this episode that I've got coming up. And I've been pursuing this guest for a year. And finally, Our schedule's matched. A.J. Sherrill has made my past year completely different. And it comes down to how I approach prayer. Well, really, how I approach God in prayer. And I can't wait for you to hear the interview. So I've pulled a gem 
from the middle. So here it is, AJ Sherrill. Like there's none of the fruit of the spirit that are about like our reputation. It's all about what, when the, when the fruit, when the, when the spirit flows in your life, you become generative into the world. Like what I see, the fruit of the spirit is when the love of God pours into your heart, that bright light, it refracts into the world in all of these colors in the form of joy and hope and peace and gentleness and self-control. And there is nothing more than I want for my daughter than for her to grow up with a dad who modeled out gentleness and kindness mm-hmm. and patience. Like, oh my goodness, like that would be the dream if my daughter who's nine now turns 18 and is looking for a husband that's like her dad because mm-hmm. her dad was kind and patient. Mm-hmm. That would be the kind of thing. But that takes a supernatural deposit of God into my life because normally I'm not that. And contemplation has been really helpful for me to do that. There'll be more from my conversation with A.J. Sherrill coming up. But first, a story, a quote, and a principle to lay the foundation for that interview. First, the story. Sheltering at home. Remember that? That phrase, sheltering at home during coronavirus, caused some strained relationships to completely break down, huh? Yeah, you know what I mean. Irritations became unbearable. People we thought we loved, uh, quote-unquote, family. Uh, we're almost unlovable after a month locked up together. <laughs> yeah, on the other hand, there are other people we would long to have been quarantined with. And actually, we'd probably get annoyed by them too. But I'm speaking about those few people that we deeply admire. You know, they got the qualities we desire. We lock, look up to them. Uh, we listen when they talk. Ah, they're sharing these, these nuggets of wisdom. And we might even study their lives. Well, I look back, and one of those men in my life was Sid. I'd been a Christian for less than two years. When Sid took me under his wings, he, he led me into uh, further into spiritual maturity, and I really admired Sid. I mean, I spent so much time with him for a year that I started to behave like him. He was my role model. He did a good job of it. Sid built healthy habits into my life that are still present today. He modeled Christ. I noticed and I followed. You might have a Sid in your life too. Might be someone who took time with you like Sid did with me who mentored you. Sid was one of the first guys. Then there was Steve who came after that. and Man, he was there for me as well. So that person, that mentor, that person who might be discipling you that you look up to, They might be doing that even today. Or maybe it's somebody you don't even know, like an author that you read, kind of like A.J. Sherrill. I didn't know him until I interviewed him just a few days ago. But man, he was leading me in this thing called prayer. Might be a a speaker you watch or listen to. uh, Maybe your pastor. Uh, Might be a podcaster that you take in. These days, your greatest influencer doesn't even need to be someone you know. We have access to role models in many forms and many platforms. And you begin talking like them, right? You begin thinking like them, even acting like them. You you know, you binge listen to a podcast and whew, a little much, huh? Well, hang around them long enough and, and you'll be a clone. How would you like to be like Jesus? Not WWJD, not what would Jesus do, but HWJB. How would Jesus be? 
I got good news. You will be. You will be like Jesus. It's your destiny. One of my favorite verses in scripture is a promise in Romans 8, 29. It goes like this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That means I'm going to be like Jesus someday. When I get to heaven, my sin will be banished and I will be fully like my Savior. Think about it. You're going to be like Jesus. Worry-free, sinless, joyful, forgiving. Well, hopefully we won't have to forgive in heaven, right? But you will be loving, humble, compassionate, all these things. And you'll also be holy. A lifelong earthly struggle, totally eliminated. Have you ever wanted to be perfect? Well, you will be when you come into Jesus' presence after your time on earth. Billy Graham, uh, he put it this way, and this is the quote. So you got the story. This is the quote. He said, think of it. Not only will all wrongdoing be banished, but everything that happens now because of sin's grip on this world will be gone forever. Illness and death will be destroyed. Sorrow and disappointment will be no more. The faults in our characters will be transformed. Think about those elusive qualities that keep reminding us how human we are. They're tucked away in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We want them, but they're so elusive. When we're like Christ, every one of these qualities will be ours. Jesus personified. (laughs) Great, great words from Billy Graham. Now let me turn the corner and, and just ask if you would like an honest assessment of how well you know Christ? Do you want that assessment? And I'm not saying go take the assessment I mentioned earlier, but this is even better. The depth of knowing Christ can be measured by the evidence of Christ in your life. The fruit of the Spirit that Billy Graham referred to, that we're going to be referring to later on in the show, that AJ is going to refer to, and he already has. It's an outward indication of an inward working comes back to that most important relationship in life, that one with God. We heard about that in the clip from my interview with AJ, and he'll share with us even further how how contemplative prayer can help you shine with the fruit of the Spirit, if that's the right word, shine with the fruit. Well, you know what I mean. So get your best ears on. We're going to hear from him shortly. But getting back to your story, okay? Your story, I talked about the assessment (laughs) and not the one that on my website, but here's the assessment that tell you how well you know Christ. Ask your spouse or close friend to tell you how consistently you're showing the fruit of the Spirit. That's the most candid assessment. And don't do it for performance sake. Don't do it because you want to perform better for Jesus, but do it for knowing Christ. Christ's sake, knowing Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is a result of that, that deep, intimate relationship. Most of us want an easy road to the fruit, don't we? And we're told that we simply have to yield to Jesus, be filled with the Spirit, and the fruit will show. And as a result, we'll be patient, loving, kind, faithful, joyful. But I really believe it's deeper than that. You need to immerse yourself into your relationship with Jesus. Fruit isn't the objective. No, knowing Christ is. The more you know Christ, the more you'll be conformed to his image. 
And as a result, you'll bear exceptional fruit. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through you as you draw near to Jesus in an intimate relationship. When you hear AJ talk about contemplative prayer, you'll start to get it. I know I did. And remember, I've read the book, I interviewed him, and I also edited the interview. So (laughs) it's deep in my soul now. We'll always face the tension to drift into performance Christianity, trying to bear fruit in our own power. It's going to happen. Yeah, we want to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all the rest. But the secret is to get our eyes off the fruit. Okay? Don't be thinking about the fruit. We need to get our eyes on Jesus. And to have our eyes on Jesus consistently means we have to know him. That's the process. And to know him comes back to spending time with him. Quarantining. Mentioned that earlier. Quarantine yourself with Jesus. Yeah, you won't get irritable with him. That's the greatest one to be quarantined with. And do it often. Quarantine yourself. I guarantee you'll know him. And you'll become more like him. Spend time with him. Being conformed to the image of Christ doesn't only happen by spending time with him, okay? I realize that. That's not it. It's in real life that God's character emerges in our life. You know, in in trials and in hardship. Just today, I called a friend who lost his daughter at a young age. But by the sound of his voice, I knew he was spending a lot of time with Jesus because peace came through the phone. I sensed it in his words and the way that he spoke. He was spending time with, he knew Jesus. He's been conformed to the image of Christ, but it's rooted in his relationship with Jesus. And that's the same for you and the same for me. And you might be going through trials right now and it's putting a dent in your freshness with God. Well, I'd encourage you to spend more time with Jesus. Don't turn away, but spend more time with Jesus. That's where the fruit is formed. That's where you become more like him. That's where you, you know him. One of God's greatest treasures waiting for you is to be conformed to the image of his son. Can you imagine that? It's a gift. We can't earn it. Just like we were saved by grace, we're conformed by grace. Knowing Jesus is at the heart of this. And I'm excited as I share it with you. And, well, it's the perfect transition into our featured interview with A.J. Sherrill. So we're going to go there and let me tell you more about A.J. He's the author of one of my favorite books. I keep talking about it on the show, Being with God, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. A.J. and his wife, they lived for a while in a busy, noisy, and always awake Manhattan. (laughs) But when their daughter came along, they knew it was time to move to a more peaceful place. So they did. And that move was part of AJ's journey to knowing Christ more deeply. You'll hear other parts of his story in the interview. Uh, He's a papa, pastor, and podcaster, okay? Uh, And I was listening to one of his sermons just a couple days ago, and man, he's an awesome teacher too. His church is in South Carolina, not too far from here, and it's time Let's go to that interview with A.J. Sherrill. The book, Being with God, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. You fit the whole title on the cover. That's good. Um, We live in an age when things get faster. They're they're more intense, stressful, confusing, 
and we're hammered from so many different angles. And I got to tell you, AJ, I've been on a journey and leading my listeners on a journey also to know Christ and to escape the bondage of performance Christianity, as I call it, which plagued me for years. So when I read your book, I knew right away this was the next piece of the puzzle for me. And it was around a basic principle of the Christian life, and it's prayer. Prayer. How basic can you get? But you took this practice of prayer to a whole new level, or should I say a deeper level? And I want to dig in a lot with you here in our time together. Uh, Let me start by asking a personal question. When did you first realize that something was missing in your prayer life? Yeah. So I, like many, grew up um, both, I was saved at a, a large evangelical church. Nothing wrong with that. I love that. Um, and I served my first ministry post and the ministry post after that. And we, we sort of had, um, a subconscious, um, belief that our lives, especially as pastors were designed to be up and to the right. So just as you would expect the stock market to hopefully climb in that direction. And so like everything, everything that I had done early in ministry just worked and it grew and it was, you know, it was just like, oh yeah, this is how things work, right? This is how it's supposed to happen. When you follow Jesus, of course, you're supposed to be a success. And in my mid twenties, I was pastoring a really large ministry and just realized like, I, I I don't think I'm ready to, to manage this. I really feel like I'm still at a place in my, in my sort of journey where I want to risk and not married. And I just want to kind of like, I don't have kids. Let's just go and live an adventure. And so I planted a church in South LA that like remarkably failed by all human metrics. And so I was wrestling with embarrassment and shame and failure and not being able to produce the results that I thought would make me happy, that I thought would make God happy and others happy. And I realized like, I didn't know how to pray. Like in that moment, I remember being on the beach, um, in Hermosa beach, Manhattan beach area in LA. And like, would just lick my wounds on Thursdays on one of my Sabbath days, just like feeling sorry for myself and angry at God and just wanting it to like be fixed and to be what it used to be back in, you know, Florida or whatever. And so, um, I just realized I didn't really have a prayer life. Like I had a a genie life where I, I knew how to like try to get stuff from God that was no longer working. I could launch prayers and desires to God. Um, I knew how to be at God. Um, and I realized like, I don't know that I really have intimacy with God. Like, I don't know that I go to God for God. I, I have learned to go to God for stuff. And it was really in a moment of failure that I really discovered my own poverty and the spirit inviting me into something bigger and deeper. And then realizing that that was what entirely marked Jesus' life is slipping away from the crowds to be an intimate connection with the Father, and that that's what fueled his ministry. And so, so you went just from realized, uh, you went from uh, what you perceived humanly success to human yeah. failure, even spiritual success. You talk ministry success to ministry yeah. failure, and yet God was setting you up because He really wanted you. I guess He was wanted you. Well, that's the thing. I always tell people that no matter where you go, God's mission never stops being you. So I think God is content to use whatever means necessary to form us into the identity of Christ. And it's not that I think God wants failure in our life. It's that sometimes failure is the grace of God. It's like, oh my goodness, like a whole panoply of 
um, of of sort of formation and longing and journey. I mean, it's exactly what I said I wanted, <laughs> um, but it's really it doesn't feel like what you think. It's it, God knew it's what I needed, but um, there's just like a sense of of wilderness that sometimes we all go through in order to become the kinds of people that God has in mind. So you were there, uh, you've discovered that and it must've taken some time for you to really get it. Uh, so you, here you are, I don't know if you're on the beach, you it realized it, how did you pick yourself up and, and move on or what happened that, that changed the way you approach God and approach prayer? Yeah, two things. God sent someone into my life, which God has a habit of doing when we're at our our sort of moment, is God sends people our way. Typically, that happens a lot. So this remarkable guy, I was speaking at a conference, and this guy just started completing sentences that uh, sort of like a, a theological, spiritual vocabulary that I sort of intuited but didn't have words for. And he started narrating things. I was like, oh, that's it. That's That's what I think. That's helpful. And so we went out to lunch and he started my journey. I started reading a lot of Nowen, um, a lot of Foster, a lot of Willard, a lot of people that had just navigated that journey, a lot of Merton and realizing, oh, there's an entire tradition, the Eastern tradition of Christianity and an entire legacy that we have in our treasure trove called church history that are full of all sorts of people that have navigated these roads and have found a sort of deeper path. Um, and then um, I decided that you know, when you start crunching the numbers and you're like, I don't know that our church is going to financially sustain in the next year. I made the decision that if we were going to not sustain, it's not because we felt sorry for ourselves. It's because we were going to give our church away to the city. And so we just served our hearts out without any need to like grow anything or recompense any money. It was just like, how do we give ourselves away freely? And those two things of learning contemplation and learning mission were really big for my soul that year. And I think the Lord really invited me into some deeper intimacy that I needed at that time. So those were two big paths for me, mission and um, and, and friendship in that way. Your book is called, as I said, Being with God. I love it. Just being with God. That's great. And the subtitle, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. And you cover, cover a lot of ground in there. And, and I'm going to, uh, uh, as we get to the end of the interview, Kind of have you lead us in a tutorial, okay? So we're going to go there oh, no. because uh, I would love for people to say, okay, I've, uh, you've you said a lot about this, but how, what are my next steps? So we're going to go there uh, at the end of the our time cool. together. But I, I know that some of our listeners are, as they hear you speak, are thinking that we're going off in some new age thing or um, something, you know, the meditation. How's it different? How is this different than, say, Eastern mysticism or, or just plain meditation? You you share that real well in your book, but I want to nail that here. Yeah, there's a section at the beginning where I, I talk about the difference of like what's happening in corporate America with mindfulness and a lot of the therapy that we're seeing, which I think is somewhat helpful, especially for someone that isn't a Jesus follower that is just considering the transcendent life and that maybe there's something beyond um, DNA and beyond you know uh, this world. Maybe there is something that exists beyond us. Um, but I would say a lot of what happens in Eastern mysticism is about emptying and it's about emptying ourselves and about emptying desire, emptying longing. And the reality of it is like desires are good. God gave us desires. It's that we tend to distort them because of the reality of sin. And so emptying is part of it, emptying ourselves of, you know, all of our false ego and all of our manipulation, all of our control. 
But there's another side of the coin too, and it's refilling, to be refilled. You know, Romans talks about to be um, transformed by the renewing of the mind. And there are messages, there are um, realities, there are, um, there's intimacy that God wants to fill us with, with the spirit. You know, we're called to be full of the spirit. And so to make ourselves available, to make room is to make him, to prepare him room, to come fill to the full who we are, that we would live out of his power. And so I think when contemplation isn't just about emptying, you know, where mindfulness takes us, contemplation is also about filling ourselves, being refilled with the spirit so that we can walk in the fullness of his power. And we do that through meditating on scripture, you know, meditation, that word is all over the song. Yep. We are supposed to fill our minds and our hearts with the scripture, which by the way, the root word of scripture is script, meaning it's to restory ourselves, that the world is trying to inscript us into societal stories, cultural stories. And the Bible's trying to do that too. It's trying to say, no, 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 those stories aren't the truest story. In fact, some of them are false. Let me tell you the true story. Jesus is the true story, first of all, as the word. He is the one that has come and wants to restory us. And so we meditate on scripture before or after we contemplate so that we are filled with the script of God so we can live out of his narrative. So it's the merging of scripture and prayer. It's all part of it. I love it. Yes, absolutely. How did this change your life? I mean, what what was your what were your habits, not not as a, a pastor or just as as AJ, uh the you were single at the time, I guess. So you did get married, you have kids now. I mean, mm -hmm. what what it Tell me the before and after thing here in your life. What did it look like? Yeah, I mean, it's a continual process of struggle. You know, Israel means wrestle. And we're the new Israel as the church. We're enfolded into that story. And and we wrestle. So wherever you are listening, like, we don't ever, on this side of the resurrection, perfect this. But I will say that um, I've, I, have, I have seen this practice in my life of really helping me get off the treadmill of performance-based living and identity. That when you realize you don't have to earn who you are, that it's actually freely given. And that all of the other stuff just becomes expressions out of our identity in Christ. It is a total liberation that um, we don't have to, we don't have to perform, that we truly are deeply loved by our creator. And that when we when we get in touch with that, it frees us to love other people, to be driven. No longer am I trying to extract something out of you, John. I don't need you to like me anymore. I don't need to perform to get you to think I'm someone, to think I'm spectacular or impressive, that I can be fully who I am with you on this conversation and be very interested in who you are for the sake of you. And so it's changed, I think, a lot of my, you know, we're, we live in a consumer culture. And so we want to consume each other. We want to use each other. Um, and we want to use God. And so it, it frees you from that sort of paradigm into something a bit more liberating that allows you to fully be who you are without trying to earn or take it from someone else. Oh, that sounds like freedom. <laughs> Just Compete, to find compare, freedom. control. Those are the three C's. We live lives competing with others, controlling others, and comparing ourselves to others. And so to realize your identity um, and to sit with that and to, to live from that, I think is a different way to be human that is very rare in the world today. Very few people, very few believers uh, are in a position of a pastor. And um, I'm not a pastor, but I've, I know many pastors that I've fellowshiped with. And those of us in the congregation can understand the kind of pressures that you go through and the different 
it's just different. We can't even grasp it. But here you are each week, you're speaking in front of a lot of people. Uh, it's You got to get out of that performance mode, although you are up there and you are speaking. So you are put on a pedestal. You're expected to do well. You're expected to really bring it, bring the word of God each week. You're prepared. You go after it. So I, I imagine it's even harder for somebody like you to continue to practice this and not get into the performance mode. Could you speak to that? Yeah, I think I just notice it more quickly. I don't know that I'm any better at it. You know, I think we'll just, we all have a limp somewhere. Mine is um, wanting to be spectacular and to be impressive. And I think what this practice and what the Holy Spirit's been helping me do the last decade of my life is just to notice when I slip into that, mm. that sort of track where I realize like, wait, why am I stressed about Sunday morning? Is it because I think I'm not going to be impressive enough? Or I have to say it like this so that you think I know what I'm talking about and that I'm competent. Like I always tell, like I teach preaching um, for doctorate students at Fuller. And I always tell them like the best preaching is compassion. Like we don't preach to be liked. We preach out of an ethic of compassion because it means it's entirely about the well-being of your listener, not getting them to think something about you. Mm. And people like me that are performance driven, we are so dedicated to trying to get people to think things about us that we forget that, oh, wait, like they exist and loving them for who they are is enough. And so I just notice more when I'm stressed about a sermon or about something like, wait, what's this really about? Is this really about them? Or is this actually about me and wanting to sort of like garner a reputation? And so I've just become, I think, more sensitive to that, that my sort of motives and how easy we are to manipulate or to try to control things or people. Mm. So that's been really helpful for me. Mm, interesting. I, I think about um, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest. And I guess that would be evidence of how, how our relationship with Christ is, is does that, that's the kind of thing that, that just flows from us as we reflect Christ. Is that, would you say that's true? Yeah. And you'll notice those are all directed toward the good of another. Like there's none of the fruit of the spirit that are about like our reputation. It's all about what, when the, when the fruit, when the, when the spirit flows in your life, you become generative into the world. Like what I see, the fruit of the spirit is when the love of God pours into your heart, that bright light, it refracts into the world in all of these colors in the form of joy and hope and peace and gentleness and self-control. And there is nothing more than I want for my daughter for her to grow up with a dad who modeled out gentleness and kindness mm -hmm. and patience like oh my goodness like that would be the dream if my daughter who's nine now turns 18 and is looking for a husband that's like her dad because mm -hmm. her dad was kind and patient mm -hmm. that would be the kind of thing but that takes a supernatural deposit of god into my life because normally i'm not that and contemplation has been really helpful for me to do that mm -hmm. I want to ask you about, um, you know, the benefits of contemplative prayer, but uh, we're so into rewards. Um, you know, what's in it for me? People are going, okay, I like this contemplative prayer. Sounds good. But I think we're thinking, how can it benefit me? How will it make a difference in my life? That kind of thing. But when I read your book, you were clear that God is the reward. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that, yeah, there's still benefits to contemplative prayer, but we got to make sure we're not seeking it for, for the benefits, but just the greatest benefit of all is to, to be with Jesus and to enjoy yeah. him. Can you, 
Can you speak to that? Yeah, he's not in a hurry. That's what's so crazy about this. Like the creator of the universe is just available whenever you want to engage God. And God is in no hurry to end the conversation. And I just, I cannot get over that, that at any moment of the day, God is available for us. Mm. And so for us to squander that and to leave so much of God unexplored seems to me like a pretty deep lament in life. Mm. But I think, you know, a lot of this is the rewiring of our neural pathways. We get so accustomed to immediacy, to um, kind of like quick, impatient, um, you know, outcome-driven what are the five? What's the ROI? And honestly, a lot of this is, is it's it's listening to something God wants to tell you over a lifetime. It's not like God wants to inform you as much as God wants to form you. Mm. And so we're often looking for the soundbite, the word, <laughs> the 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 phrase, the the tweet from God. But quite frankly, I think God is super content to just be with us. You know, people say to me often, like, well, if I don't hear anything, what does that mean? And what if it mean that God, God no longer has anything to say against us in Christ? And that doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means that God, God's wrath is not pointing to us, that in Christ we are, we are redeemed, we are saved, and that God is content to simply be with us. Now, sometimes I do get words, impressions, vision, some sort of, you know, do this and you know, pay attention to that. But a lot of it is just being willing to waste time with God because he's so happy to be with us, I think, in those moments. And so for me, it makes me more patient. It makes me notice more. It makes me slow down. You can't notice your stuff with your kids and your wife and your husband and your friends if you're just rushing about through life. But we do begin to notice more when we slow down and pay attention. I think maybe we don't want to slow down because we're afraid of what we'll notice, right? So yeah, about ourselves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I love what you said. Waste time with God. That's that. That's good. Just like we'd waste time with our kids. Just have fun with them. Totally. Yeah. Yes. So tell me about and tell us about what does this look like you on a typical day of contemplative mm-hmm. prayer? How do you do this personally? Yeah, I do it awkwardly. So you know, people will always ask me like, "Oh, this must be easy for you by now." It is still. It's still a discipline that requires me to um, to not check email when I get up and to slow down. And here's what I noticed. Your brain capacity through your cortisol is at its highest when you first wake up. It then goes down throughout the day and the melatonin begins to rise up when the sun goes down. And over time, your cortisol is totally depleted and your melatonin comes in. And that's what makes you go to sleep. If cortisol is at its highest point when I wake up, I want to tithe God the best moment of my day. For me, I've noticed I'm sharpest. I read best. I think best between when I get up and I got about two hours of really deep, good thinking. And so I'll spend, you know, the first 20 to 30 minutes giving that to the Lord, where I know I could be writing a book, a sermon. I know I could be thinking about something deep, but it's like, Lord, my first 30 minutes to an hour is, is you. I'll say the apostles creed okay. from memory of the prayer. And then I'll read my four scriptures. And then I will simply close that and sit with God in stillness because I've said my story, which is the creed. That's the story I believe in the most in the world. And then I've read the scripture. So I've been informed by the word of God. And now I'm going to totally move to just giving and surrender my heart to the Lord. And so sometimes he recalls things that I just read in scripture or a conversation I need to have or 
something that's unfinished I need to pay attention to. But mostly it's just giving those back to the Lord and just sitting in silence, usually five, 10, sometimes 15 minutes. How do you um, uh, keep uh, those stray thoughts from bombarding you and destroying awkwardly, your time? Awkwardly, give yourself a phrase, whether it's a word, there's certain words that we just each have connections to. So like, maybe it's for you, shalom, or maybe for you, it's peace, or maybe it's joy. Um, for me, it's the Jesus prayer. I inhale Lord Jesus Christ, and I exhale, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I don't say that out loud. That's just in my inhale and exhale. And what I'm doing is I'm orienting, your heart rate is connected to your breathing rate. So my heart is being regulated right through my breath. And my breath is now prayer. And I'm praying what I believe is that Jesus is Lord and I need mercy. And um, it's cool because you'll start to get in touch with your body, like things that itch or just all the ways in which our bodies are beautiful. And yet they're, they're going to someday not work for us. And so it's just like, have mercy on me to put myself in a posture of need that I'm not in control. And so I'll start my day that way. And then when I'm finished, I'll usually say the Lord's prayer, the, our father, how would be your name? And I'll go through that. And then I'll, I'll go into my day. So it's not like magic. It's just like super routinized and I'll shuffle some things around here and there, but that is like, it's my French breath coffee and that. And people will say like, oh man, does, doesn't it get old to like prayer in the morning? I was going to ask you that, but does it get routine? What I, maybe sometimes, but I, I just tell people this, like I, I never get up in the morning and say, I'm so tired of coffee <laughs> and I'm just so bored with it. Like I get up every single morning and it's like new beans awake. New beans are waiting for my, my drinking, you know? And it's the same with the Lord. Like I'll get up every day and be like, you know, I, I want to spend some time in the word today. And it just, it just doesn't get old to just do that. And then to just sit patiently. Maybe it and you think, becomes yeah. old to people because you're just reading a book and you're just saying words. You're not hmm. looking into the word of God and looking into could the be. face of God. Yeah, could be for sure. Yeah. And I always tell people like, Hey, if, if you do feel like you need, it's like a workout. If you need to change the the rhythm and the routine, Give yourself grace to do that. You know, I also enjoy a good walk in the morning because I think the things that we work out on our walks and in the shower, I can work out a lot of problems. It's amazing to me, like how the Holy Spirit just, I feel so connected to God when I don't take my phone, I walk a trail and I just allow the Lord to speak in my mind to kind of be free association and the problems we solve. I think it's God involved in that. Mm. So whether it's through a sales project or whether it's through something going on with your kids or something going on with whatever, it's amazing to me what kind of connections the brain makes when it stops trying to solve a problem and gets out in creation or gets into the word. I think it was fascinating in your book, the whole section on the neurology of contemplative prayer, because I don't think many books, if any, deal with that. And learning about breathing, I'm trying to do my six to seven breaths. And I, I understand that deep breathing really makes a difference, really brings relaxation and focus. You mentioned some things about the brain, and I would encourage our listeners, just as you read the book, read that. It's the things that you share in there are, are really awesome because there are those neurological benefits and we can understand ourselves a little better too. You brought out some really neat things in that. It's interesting because uh, you quote uh, uh, Doc, Doc Royer, Timothy Royer. That's another thing that really that really got me because I saw that name and I did, did some research cause I had a hunch and his dad led me to the Lord 50 no years ago. Way. Come yes. On. yes. 
50 years ago, uh, early January, January 7th, 1973. Oh my word. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so part of my research was going back and trying to find the the obituaries and stuff like that. And I mentioned all the kids and I'm going, this, this has got to be him. And so I reached out to Timothy Royer, Dr. Timothy Royer. I filled out the form on his page and he answered me. So we got an email conversation going on and it's, mm-hmm. uh, it was, I remember that night when I gave my life to Christ and he was, his dad was a football coach and I was playing high school football and I thought he was going to come in and talk about football, but he talked about how to be born again, John three. And I um, went forward from the back row, never heard that wow. message before. And so coach born again is what his nickname was. <laughs> so when I'm reading this. I'm going, this is really weird. God's just doing some neat things. So the mm. whole neurology of this was so eye-opening to me. Maybe speak a, a little bit about that. I try to make it really accessible. It doesn't feel like a scientific deep dive that if you've never right. been to med school, I'm, I'm, my doctorate is not in medicine. Um, and I, I was so moved by it because there are things we can do to like a word Tim will use a lot. Doc, Doc Royer, he'll, he'll, he'll and he works with like professional football teams, like yeah. teams Yes. and with C-suite, like what he's trying to do is help people optimize. He'll call it coherent. So he wants to bring optimal coherent for your craft. So if your craft is following Jesus we should follow Jesus as coherently and optimally as possible. If your craft is sales or medicine or engineering or whatever it might be, the Lord has given us those gifts to flourish and to bring God glory in the fullness of how we do that. And so Tim was really good with me of like helping, helping me understand the science of sleep and how that works. Mm. Like I had no idea that the first four hours when you're sleeping, your brain is healing your body. Like your brain is distributed through your body. It's not, you're not a head on a stick. You're integrated. And the second four hours, your brain is healing itself. It's squeezing out toxins, what's called taking out the trash. And so, you know, I'll talk to people all the time. Like, oh, I don't have time to sleep. You know, I've only got four hours to do it. It's like, sure, you you can heal your body, but your your brain long-term is going to suffer and you're going to pay the price for that. So it's like, how do we optimize life? What does it mean to stress? What's, What's happening in our stress? Well, your telomeres are shrinking. And they're actually what determine your lifespan. So it would be advantageous for us to live without stress and to give that to the Lord every day, every day, over and over our worries. Because, you know, when Jesus says, don't worry, I think he really means it. I, I think there's <laughs> something like, and, and he's not saying that because he's frustrated. I think he's saying that for you, I, I love you. And I don't want you to worry because you're robbing yourself of years with your children. You're robbing yourself of years of whatever, whatever it is he plans for you, right? So there are ways in which our brains, as we think thoughtfully about organizing our life, our patterns, our routines, our habits, there are things that we're doing that malform us. And there are things that we can do that can transform us. And so there are simple things we can think about to help with that. And so that's what the last three chapters of this book are really all about. Oh, those were good. It's worth the book, uh, purchasing the book uh, by itself. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, I'm going to throw at, we're going to, we're going to do this uh, a little tutorial in a moment here, but I want to throw a couple quotes at you that um, this book is so quotable. I've got different color highlights. I finally got the Kindle version because I gave away too many of the, paperback copies. So I got one that nobody else can have. And um, so let me just share some of the quotes from the book. I got three of them here in just 
expound on those a little bit. Um, well, you said this about the Holy Spirit. Um, the essential task in prayer, and you refer to the groaning of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the passage that, that talks about that. The essential task in prayer may not be to start a new conversation with God, but rather to join the eternal conversation already happening within us. The contemplative life is about learning to join that conversation. Prayer isn't about me always starting a new conversation. I think we often think that prayer is about me launching thoughts at God, wants at God, needs at God, and hopefully God will resolve those in due time. And then when I'm done talking, the conversation's over. Mm. And I think what the Lord has tried to invite me into in these last couple of decades of my life is what if AJ, the burden of the conversation isn't always on you? Like, what if I am in a kind of conversation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that I'm actually inviting you into? Wow. The uh, Holy Spirit is praying for us and we don't even have words to pray. Oh, my word. Groaning too deep for words. Groaning, yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, the there is that connection. The Spirit yes. goes to the Father to the to pray and there is that conversation going on. That's, that's I mean, how many, when was the last time you heard in a church that the spirit of God lives inside your body mm. and is connected somehow with the father who is in the kingdom and the son sitting right now, like that connection, like wire, like Wi-Fi, is dialed in and that you are a part of that. That is bizarre. And it is beautiful. And I, I just think, and we don't even have to understand it. <laughs> oh my word. It, it's just, it's just happening in us all the time. It's incredible. So I want to join that conversation. You know, we talk about performance Christianity and that's the, this whole podcast about overcoming performance Christianity. And you said, uh, but when the fruit bearing is the essence of our spirituality and not the effect, we put the cart in front of the horse. When fruit bearing is the essence of our spirituality and not the effect we put the cart in front of the horse. Again, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Do you go to God for God? Is God the object of your affection or is it really something else? And then God is basically who you use to get what it is you want in your life. Um, so, and you know, I think God's so gracious and compassionate. I would say probably the majority of my life with God is consumptive. And yet I'll just say, like, I, I think God is so patient with us, mm-hmm. knowing our schemes, knowing our deceit and our all of our mischief. Um, but really, like when intimacy and in the presence becomes your greatest longing, I just I can't help but think the divine life through you will flow without even trying. You mm-hmm. won't have to try to be patient anymore mm-hmm. because you'll just realize you're so deeply loved and God is so patient with you. Forgiveness becomes possible because you realize how deeply you've been forgiven. These things, the divine life begins to flow. So we don't have to strive and enforce. It just begins to to work on us because we've been in the presence. Hmm. Um, That's at least my suspicion and and some of the inkling of what I've experienced. AJ, as we close here, um, maybe uh, take our listeners through what they can do now. They've heard all about this and maybe put some legs on it for them. How can they enter into contemplative prayer and also mm-hmm. any resources uh, besides your book. Your book is very applicable. There's application at the end of each chapter. Um, and I encourage our listeners to pick it up. I'll have a link in my show notes. Just go to being with God, AJ Cheryl, and you'll get it on Amazon and other fine places. So, uh, but take us through uh, 
contemplative prayer a good start? Yeah, I would say, you know, especially if this is the first time that you've ever done it, um, I think it's really important that when you begin your journey, you are rooted in 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 the text and scripture. I think a lot of people feel nervous, like, what am I, how do I do this? And so there's an old paradigm called Lexia Divina. Mm-hmm. And it's just simply four pivots. You know, what I'll do is find a find a scripture, start in like, let's just take Matthew 5. It's so beautiful, right? Or you can take Philippians 1 or something like that. And just read a couple of verses right? Set a timer for three to five minutes. If you want, you don't have to do that. And just read it several times, right? So you read, that's the R, read. And you just read it over and over. You're not trying to figure it out. You're not trying to parse it. You're letting it figure you out. You're giving it permission to poke around your soul. So you just read it. And then the next thing you do is you reflect on it. You say, okay, is there like a word in here or like a sentence that, Lord, you're just calling me to to just sit on that for a second. So you do that for another three to five minutes, right? You just get curious. So you read it, you reflect, and then you write. So you have a journal or something, and then you start to get it all out. Like what's coming up for you? Three to five minutes. Maybe you craft it into a prayer. Maybe you're listing out, you know, this conflict that you're in and you're just struggling with it. You just need to get it out. You need to get, you need to articulate it to where it's differentiated from you. It's not like enmeshed in you and, and jumbled up and confusing. It's it's now written down. You can look at it, separate yourself from it. And then you say, you know what, I've, I've written that and that's been in my heart and now I'm just going to rest. And so you do three to five minutes of just being with God. So you find just a sacred word or a phrase and you just connect your breathing with that, right? So you read, you reflect, you write and you rest. You read, you reflect, you write and you rest. And that's a good 20 minute devotional right there. And that's a really simple way into the pool. And what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to start with your sensory experience of reading. And then you're going deeper and deeper within yourself until you're just resting with the Lord, right? So there's a little arc there of what Mm -hmm. you're trying to do. And that's a really good way to launch into your day. And you'll, you'll be amazed like how much you'll remember in the scripture, when you really sit in it longer than just reading it and then moving on with your day. Um, and so that's my, that would be my like introductory recommendation. Also, I would say there's an app I found a lot of joy in reading or in, uh, in listening to called Lectio 365. Um, incredible thinker and practitioner over in the UK um, that designed it. And um, it's just wonderful. And it guides you through, sometimes my wife and I will lay in bed before we go to sleep and we'll listen to Lexio, um, L-E-C-T-I-O 365. And it's just, it has music underneath it. It's really melodic and noodle and it just guides you through prayer before you sleep. And it thanks the Lord for the day. And it's just a really beautiful app of thanksgiving and praise. Um, So Lexio 365 is a really good app as a resource. I'll go ahead and uh, put a link to that in the show notes as well. And um, you you mentioned, those opening steps, a way to get, jump into the water, jump into the pool. And you go through that in your book, which is great. And, and so listeners, you can go back and read through being with God. And you, you say those things, you help us work through those things through the chapters. And it was really practical. So cool. thank you for condensing it here for our listeners. That's great. Yeah. These things can stay abstract if we're not careful. Yes. And then you're like, yeah, I think I know what we're talking about, but I'm not really sure how to do it. So, um, you know, I really wanted to write my book for the everyday follower of Jesus. It's just trying to say, 
I've done a bunch of stuff. I, I, I'm in, I'm in need for a deeper path. That's not complicated, but that is deeper nonetheless. Well, you certainly write that way. I mean, you, you're very real and you, you know, you talk about your family, you talk about some of the struggles you had and living in New York city and um, noise and all the interruptions and the intensity. So I, uh, I get that. And now you're in South Carolina, man, what a contrast from New love York it. city. Yes. Yes. Was ready for it, but I love Manhattan, but I don't want to live there right now. So. Nice place to visit. <laughs> I'm still working on those four elements that AJ walked us through at the end. I practice them, but, but not enough. Uh, when I do, it's so nice. I really connect with God. Uh, if you, uh, want to go get his book. He's got those those four elements in there explained just like he did, but a little more elaborately in the book. I've actually copied the pages of the book and I keep them in my journal so I can practice and go through the four, those four things in that process. I won't even call them the four steps to contemplative prayer. I don't want to say that. No, it's not performance. It's just four exercises that, that lead you through the process. Hope you enjoyed that interview with AJ and um, man, share it with other people. Would you do that? Do me a favor, share this episode with your friends. It could change their life, could be the, the entry point to a more intimate relationship with Jesus, to knowing Christ, to having a rich prayer life. If you want a, your life to be vibrant, to be uh, consistent uh, in your walk of faith, then I want to help you. Fresh Faith 24-7, it's open. It's ready for you to take it for a test drive. Yep, a free trial that'll get you inside and experience the great benefits. And I want to tell you about one of these benefits. This is the core of Fresh Faith 24-7. It's called the Freedom Path Training. It's truly focused on those who are struggling with performance Christianity. If that's you, then I created it for you. It's a complete video training, including a playbook, so you can follow along and take notes. Yep, notes. You know, if you want to change, you got to get serious about it, write things down. There's four modules in this. Go at your own pace. And again, it's called the, the Freedom Path Training. I've got it as a free trial. Uh, the membership is a free trial. Freedom Path is just one element of it. There's so much more in there, content, community, coaching, and you go to freshfaith247.com. Just click on free trial and it'll get you in. All right. So I'll, I'll see you inside with all the others who are part of our community. Next up, next episode, we will be talking about rising above circumstances, how knowing Christ will help us rise above circumstances. And until then, God bless you and continue to know Jesus. And remember, practice that contemplative prayer. And I'd like to hear how you're doing. What's your experience with it? Let me know. John at FreshFaith247.com. Love to hear from you. Tell me how it's going. And I'll catch you again next time.